Hey, this is Rabbi Cosgrove on Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast. As you listen to this podcast with Rabbi Wendy Zierler and Professor Josh Garraway, I want to remind you that Rabbi Zierler will be teaching this summer at Park Avenue Synagogue. She is a fan favorite. She will be exploring this topic of America's truth crisis. Many Americans, Jews among them, are understandably concerned for the future of truth as we once knew it. This course is an outgrowth of Rabbi Zierler and Professor Garraway's recently published book that I'm about to discuss with them, These Truths We Hold, Judaism in the Age of Truthiness, where they address the subject of truth in the Jewish tradition and in contemporary Jewish life from a variety of perspectives, biblical, Talmudic, liturgical, literary, and comic. If you want to register for the class, you can do so on the Park Avenue Synagogue website or reach out to Patricia with any questions. Thank you for listening to Park Avenue Synagogue Podcasts, and here is Rabbi Zerler and Professor Garraway. Hello and welcome back to Park Avenue Synagogue Podcasts, where we engage in dialogue on issues of concern, entrance, relevance, urgency, to the Jewish people, oftentimes from members of the Park Avenue Synagogue family, or what I call friends of PAS, friends of the Park Avenue Synagogue family. And we have a very dear friend and her friend with a very exciting new book out that we are going to discuss, Rabbi Dr. Wendy Zierler and Rabbi Dr. Joshua Garraway, who just published a collection of essays, which I had the pleasure of blurbing in its pre-publication moment, called These Truths We Hold, Judaism in an Age of Truthiness. I'm just going to read a little selection on the back of the book so you get a sense of a conversation to come. These Truths We Hold, Judaism in an Age of Truthiness, responds to this moment by offering an impressive list of contributors addressing the subject of truth in the Jewish tradition in contemporary Jewish life from several important perspectives, biblical, Talmudic, liturgical, scientific, philosophical, satirical, pluralistic, and poetic. The articles are meant to shore up faith and serve a bank of resources to orient readers to Judaism's rich, multifaceted, and morally edifying teachings about truth. Um, welcome, 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 uh, your friends, but I'll call you by your, I'll call you Dr. Zierler and Dr. Uh, Garraway. It's great to have you both here. Welcome. Thank you. Um, this is a fabulous and timely book. I thoroughly enjoyed it some months ago when I had a chance to, uh, review it. Um, tell me what is the, or what, what, what prompted this, this volume? Uh, how did it, how did it come about to do a collection of essays on uh, Judaism in the Age of Truthiness? And maybe you can tell me a little bit about the title itself, which I love. Okay, so I'll, I'll start. Uh, the book is an outgrowth of a program that was initiated at HUCJIR, where Josh and I both teach, um, by our former president, Aaron Pankin, of blessed memory. Uh, an effort to try and bring an important, timely 
conversations um, at, at a high intellectual and religious level to the college. And uh, at the time, we were tasked to plan the second symposium, this the intellectual gathering, and this was 2016. And the one theme that was inescapably on our minds at that time, this is the aftermath of the of Trump's election to the presidency was what we perceived to be the truth crisis. The fact that lying had become so rampant in the political landscape um, that people were losing all sense of how to identify a kind of undeniable, unimpeachable truth. And we figured, okay, well, as Jewish thinkers, intellectuals, what would be the best way to approach this crisis, to gather together a group of impressive, learned uh, Jews and thinkers from all across the Jewish studies disciplines and see if we put all of our heads together, could we get some greater clarity on the subject of truth? And in terms of truthiness, I'll hand this over to you, Josh. Uh, sure. So the the term truthiness, I think it's lost a little bit of its currency. But about ten years ago, it was widely known because it um, it was the result of an evening on the Daily Show, I believe, with Stephen Colbert, or maybe Stephen Colbert's show, where he used the word truthiness to describe the way at that time the Bush administration was dealing with the subject of weapons of mass destruction. Uh, the way they would bend the truth. And so he said that the Bush administration does not aspire to truth, they aspire to truthiness. And I believe his description of truthiness was, uh, you know, you can say the Panama Canal was constructed in 1901 or whatever, but if I want to say 1941, that's my right. Uh, and that that was his example of the way truthiness functions. And so, um, yeah, we thought that would be a, a fun, clever way of incorporating some element of pop culture into the title. Well, it's a, it's a great title and it's a, it's a great collection of essays. It's really a, I'm looking at the name from Lawrence Hoffman to Ben Summer to Christine Hayes, Mark. I mean, these are, if I had playing cards, you know, getting signatures, Lior Butnitsky, uh, these are the greats of our time collected in a single volume on this subject. I just want to, um, you two can let me know who wants to go. But I, I'm just wondering, you know, if Colbert coined the term in a pre-Trump world, right? I'm just, before we dive into the Jewish side of this conversation, do you feel, when do you feel that truth went off the rails? Or do you feel like it has always been the case that, you know, we, we've always had some sort of elusive relationship with the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? Um, are we in a new chapter or is this just a continuation of a, of a story that long preceded, um, you know, the, the past presidential administration? So Wendy and I have, I think we share a somewhat unpopular opinion in this regard. Um, and Wendy explains it much better than I do. So I, I was going to talk about postmodernism, but I think Wendy does it better. So uh, why don't you do <laughs> I, I'll say two things. It's it, it would be um, foolish and actually um, dishonest to say that Trump invented um, a loosey goosey relationship with the truth. Uh, in fact, we can go back to m much earlier moments. We can look at the Clinton presidency as a as a moment that prepared the ground for some of the political um, freewheeling or you know loose handling um right, that famous line what was it it all depends on what your definition of is is or 
we were already, you know, fraying at the edges. And yeah, and and what we while it did definitely seem to be, we had it did seem in 2016 that we had entered a new iteration of this. We were experiencing a new iteration of it, perhaps because of the um, lack of shame around the mistruths. Um, we what we were reckoning with very seriously as we were preparing this event, this symposium, and then thinking about it um, as we were pre preparing the book, what we really wanted to tackle, among other things, was the role in which the role in it, the, the extent to which liberal ideology and many of the ideas that we held very dear, um, pluralism, um, multiple sides of interpretation, things that are actually at the center of Jewish tradition and that always left us with a great sense of pride, to what extent did, did this play a role in preparing, you know, seeding the ground for this rampant dissociation with truth? How could one both foster pluralism and a sense of, you know, you have your read or your mini narrative and I have my mini narrative um, since postmodernism decided to part ways with truth as a capital with the capital T or with the idea of a master narrative how then in that climate could we get down to some shared sense of what was not just perspectival you know not just a, a matter of yeah, your take versus my take I, I was joking before we started this New Yorker cartoon that a, that a, a student sent to me which pictures a, a you know man and a woman together having a, a wine and saying okay you can tell me your truth but then I want to tell my truth right after right my, my, kid, my kids tell me the same thing they're like dad that's just your perspective but there's another perspective but, but and but that's the way I was trained as a historian right that you read historical texts and there is no objective reality or truth that you're aspiring to what you're just trying to do is figure out the perspective of the author and the way language is used by oh, the author. Also... And yeah, and that that inspired my work. And yet at the same time, it 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 is implicated in this current epistemological crisis over whether or not there really is an objective truth outside of our language uh, to which we should aspire. And so this is this this was a problematic realization. <laughs> right. Right. So what does uh, Judaism have to say about this topic? Because, um, okay, so we're in this sort of territory of, of on the one hand, well, I mean, I, I think a, a million rabbinic texts come to mind, many of which are cited in the volume by the various authors. But on the one hand, truth is paramount. The first letter of the Hebrew alphabet is an aleph. The last letter is a taf. The center of it is mem spell it out loud, emet, right? This is the foundation of the world. On the other hand, there's a great midrash of, of, of truth being thrown to the ground in order for creation itself to, to take place. That a, a world which is built on absolute truth um, is not a world that can be sustained. And I, I, I remember, you know, I don't know if it was my he where I first heard it, the Hebrew school days of of how do you describe a bride on her wedding day and the house of Shammai says, you, you, you tell the truth, you tell, you describe the bride as she is. Um, if she's pretty, you say she's pretty. If she's ugly, you say she's ugly. 
But then Hillel is the one who actually wins that argument and says something to the effect of every bride is beautiful on their wedding day, where it seems to indicate that in a classic Jewish source, sometimes there's a value higher than truth um, at play. So uh, what, what, what does, what, is there an answer to the question of what Judaism has to say about, about truth claims? So go to you, Wendy, and then uh, thank and then you. John. You said you set up the the problematic very well. It, it it became clear to us, and this perhaps was somewhat surprising, maybe disappointing, when we set out. We wanted clarity, right? We were coming out of a murky world with respect to this notion of truth, and here we discovered in contribution after contribution to our discussion that actually. Truth is a value in Judaism, but not necessarily the paramount or highest value under certain circumstances. When pitted against other values such as peace, such as goodness, um, such as the efficacy of a legal system, um, a functioning court, that, um, yes, truth will be thrown down to the ground and will be allowed to be, pardon the pun, trumped by those other values, which is not to say that Judaism doesn't respect truth or see it as something that we're always chasing, pursuing, trying to get ever close to it, but that um, it would not necessarily be the winning card in all circumstances. Yeah. And that's not, that doesn't have to be the case. So one of the things that happens in our book is that um, some of the authors point out that there are other cultures or ways of looking at the world that do view truth as that sort of paramount virtue that trumps all others. Um, so Chris Hayes, my my Talmud teacher, uh, writes about Hellenistic philosophy, Greek philosophy, which aspired to truth as this absolute paramount value, or Kant. Um, and uh, just to make things more popular, I, I should... My wife and I have recently started watching the show The Good Place, which I'm guessing many people on the podcast have um, have watched. And there's one character there who is a moral philosopher, uh, and and he frequently talks about how truth is an absolute value. He can never lie. He must always adhere to the truth. And the other night, I I leaned over to my wife and I said, you know, that's not necessarily a Jewish perspective, and explained to her some of the findings of our book. Right. Right. And, and I think, um, you know, so many possible directions for this conversation. I, I, I am reminded of a, a quotation that Schechter uh, used, but it was also um, that Lessing, I, I, I came across it in my dissertation, that if God, I have it written here, if God should hold enclosed in his right hand all truth and in his left hand the ever active impulse after truth, Although with the condition I must always and forever err, I would with humility turn to his left hand and say, Father, give me this. Pure truth is for thee alone. Meaning the, the seal of God is truth. But for we mortals, it's not the possession of truth, but it's a search for truth, which defines a life of integrity. If anything, I, I have told many groups that if anyone in a religious context would claim that they have the true will of God or believe to hold the absolute truth, run the other way. 
because there's a word for that. It's fundamentalism. There's there's a danger yeah. to um, there's an underbelly to being too closely tied to truth, um, or or certainly a claim to truth. Yeah, just yesterday, I saw on social media someone used the term epistemological humility, which I had never yeah. heard before. But um, I think that's what you're driving at, and it's something that Ben Summer I know writes a lot about, and I think in his article here that. Um, one should always be aware of overconfidence uh, that what what someone is saying is the truth and that you can aspire to truth and yet also be humble about your ability to ascertain it. One of the points that Jeff Middleman, um, who contributes the article in our book about Judaism and science, one of the points that he makes is that scientists, as a rule, they um, walk around in the world with that kind of epistemological humility, knowing that with each passing day, they're going to have their understanding of the world be challenged or developed further. So at any point, you're, you're gesturing towards the, the full picture, but you always know that you're falling short of it. I'll add one more thing, which is that in preparation for some of the talks that I've been giving around this book, I discovered that the first time that the word emet appears in the Bible it's in the story of Eliezer or the the unnamed at that point servant of Abraham going to get a, a spouse, going a, a wife for Isaac. Uh, and it, it appears together with Chesed. Chesed and Emmet are often cousins or twins in biblical literature, which suggests that, that this quest for truth is always being tempered on some level with the quest for compassion and kindness. Moreover, that if one, what I what I note about that story about the servant of Abraham going out to get a wife for his master, it's an entirely selfless task. It's to perpetuate a line that um, is displaced him. He would have been the inheritor of Abraham's uh, legacy otherwise. And so the pursuit of truth, uh, if it seems to be in service of one's own ambition, that that's a first sign that it may not pass the smell test, so to speak. And so what Judaism seems to be interested in truth, tempered by altruism, actually, by something, and note the word true appearing in altruism, something that is beyond you. And so if you are advancing a claim, and the only person who serves to gain from that claim is you, and that is often the way in which we've seen lies be marshaled recently in the public square. Then one can be sure to know that um, to to bring some skepticism to that to the receiving of that truth claim. I love that the the interplay between Chesed and Emmet. Um, thank you. Let me ask. Uh, you know, I, I neglect that I'm realizing now halfway through or this interview that this podcast that I I didn't share your bios. Mm -hmm. And and I want to sort of make up for that by sharing it, but focusing on one aspect of it. So Wendy Zierler, uh, we're talking about uh, their new book, These Truths We Hold, is a Sigmund Falk professor of modern Jewish literature and feminist studies at HUCJIR in New York. And in 2021, she received rabbinic ordination from Yeshiva Maharat. Josh Garraway is not just Josh Garraway, but he is Rabbi Josh Garraway, PhD, the Saul and Arlene Bronstein Professor of Judeo-Christian Studies 
and professor of early Christianity and Second Commonwealth at HUCJR Skirball campus in Los Angeles. So why do I bring this up? Because the two of you, and me for that matter, are rabbis and scholars. Now, hopefully those are not at odds with each other, that rabbis are scholars too. Um, but it also goes to the question of truth, right? Foundational myths, sacred texts, right? On the one hand, as with your academic hat, you are a member of the academy, there are truth claims and otherwise, but as religious Jews and rabbis, you are also well aware, I'm sure, in a progressive context, that um, when we talk about the historicity or facticity, whether it's the exodus from Egypt or any of our foundational stories, we might be using or, or, or speaking of those stories with a different notion of people listening to podcasts can't see my air quotes, but truth, right? Is the Bible true? Um, is this, are, are these um, foundational narratives we have true or not? Do you, do you yourselves see this tension in your sort of rabbi-scholar identities? I will. I guess I'll start. Um, I'll start us off, Josh. Look, I'm um, a professor of literature, and so the idea that I can glean a truth from a story that is fictional, uh, that doesn't disturb me. Um, in fact, one of the, the story that I led with or the challenge that I led with was when we were working on the draft, various drafts of the introduction is a story by Isaac Babel called In the Basement that begins with, I was a boy who liked to tell lies. It came from my reading. Uh, and basically, you know, the habit, habit of a fiction writer or a scholar of literature is, is in a sense to call truth from lies. Now, that is not to say um, that my answer to you about the truth claim of the Torah is that I think it's a, a fictional document that I, that I nevertheless believe is true. That's, I do not mean to say that. But the idea, I do not need a historical facticity for a text to, to be mined for me with truths. And in, in, in terms of that whole question of, of, you know, when we raise the Torah and we say, you know, this is the Torah that God, that Moses gave um do we in worrying perhaps about the truth claim of that um we have a we have a, more than one chapter in the book that addresses that and perhaps I'll, I'll with that I'll pass the baton to Josh I don't know if you want it to be passed that way well yeah I, uh I'm a little more doctrinaire or maybe I should say I'm a little more reform in that you know I, I not only teach at the reform seminary I was ordained at the reform seminary and I see myself very much as a Jew in the reform tradition I often make the joke at our uh what I call chapel service because I'm a old-fashioned reformed Jew after we sing Vizot HaTorah we sing lie 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 and I always <laughs> joke to the students that it's a Freudian slip. It should be spelled L-I-E, L-I-E. Um, because I was taught in at HUC by a professor I admire very much that at the end of the day, um, it is incumbent upon a reform rabbi uh, to teach his or her congregants the truth. Um, and I, I have tried to be doctrinaire about that. And so when I am teaching about Bible or ancient history, or something where I think that the academy does have a truth claim that is superior to the supposed revealed claim of traditional Judaism, um, I will not fudge that. 
Now, one thing that this book and and the preparation for it um, has has led me to, I think, better understand, is that even though um, I will always serve that uh, what I believe to be uh, the truth, there are ways that you can couch it and present it that are uh, both honest, but also accepting that not everybody is. Uh, in the same place in terms of the way they understand truth in the world. And so there's a certain pastoral way of presenting the truth that is, I think, the great challenge, honestly, of uh, non-Orthodox rabbis today, teaching the tradition honestly, but also in accordance with truth. And I, I'm guessing that's something that in a cons major conservative synagogue in New York, yeah. uh, you have to deal with all the time. All, all the time, all the time. Uh, and we're running out of time. So here's my last question, one for each of you. I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm not going to ask you. It, it's a collection of essays. The name of the book is These Truths We Hold. Uh, every essay is marvelous. Um, tell me if I'm picking up this book, which is the essay in it? And each of you pick a different one and not one that you yourselves wrote that you say, <laughs> oh, uh, this, when I read this essay, by Larry Hoffman, by Rachel Adler, by Ben Summer. I just, I was just so excited for all the people who are going to be able to read this essay. So, um, uh, Wendy, why don't we begin with you? Which, which one do you love? Okay, so I love many of them, and I don't want to insult any of our contributors. I was particularly proud to be able to present Christine Hayes' um, article on uh, the Talmud and truth, because I think that it presents that that difference between a, a Greek set of values around truth, some notion of truth as this eternal, immutable uh, construct that is above the vicissitudes of human experience, while at the same time explaining what is uh, what we should be proud of in the rabbinic willingness to to uphold other values, including goodness, including peace, and um, including compassion. Uh, it, it's beautifully written and uh, extremely important in terms of its, its insights and, and, of course, deeply learned. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, it's a very difficult question. I, I would say, I think um, my friend Jeff Middleman's article, I, I spent a lot of time with him on it. Um, and... I think I like it the most because it's different from all of the other pieces in that it it's in some ways outside of Jewish tradition. Um, it's it's a knowledgeable article about what science is and how in many ways science shares a view of truth um, with Judaism. But also I think that science has an understanding of truth as aspirational and, and, and the concept of epistemological humility. Uh, that Judaism honestly could grow towards uh, maybe a more desirable way of thinking about truth than our tradition is typically uh, uh, held. So I like Jeff's piece, but I also like all the pieces. So uh, well, well, well said, <laughs> well said. Look, I, I, it's really such a pleasure. It's such a timely, important volume, and and I want to congratulate um, the the editors, um, Rabbi Wendy Zierler, Rabbi Josh Garraway. Um, for your labors um, to bring this book um, to the community. Um, we all hope to learn from it. I, I would be remiss if I didn't also say 
for on a personal level, the fact that this book um, emerged from and is dedicated to honoring the memory of, of my late friend, Rabbi Dr. Aaron Pankin. Um, I think that when I think of Aaron and I think of his, his clarity of thought, his, his collaborative collegial nature, um, his, his pursuit of knowledge, his scholarship, and his menschlichkeit, I think this book stands as um, a beautiful tribute reflecting all the values um, that those of us who had the honor of knowing Aaron um, try to hold dear in, in his memory. So uh, I look forward to more conversations emerging from this book, These Truths We Hold, to Dr. Garraway, to Dr. Zierler. Thank you so much for being part of Park Avenue Synagogue podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about our community, check out PASYN.org. See you in shul. Hallelujah, Hallelujah.